we're just going to move on to part one of seeing God's hand in creation. One of the ways we see God's hand is in creation. We live in a world where people aren't believing in creation. They're going for the alternative, which is evolution. And um, I'm not right out on where I believe in what is what and where it is, but I know that whatever it is in the end, it's the work of God's hand. However it happened, it's the work of God's hand. And we can praise him this morning. And so as we think about God, we see his hand in creation. We're just going to look a little video on those first days of creation. God's story, creation. So part of God's story is about when he created the world. And it begins like this. Before the beginning of time, there was nothing, nothing at all. No earth, no light, just emptiness. It was like the inside of a basketball, or a cup after you drink all the milk out of it. But God was there, and he had an idea. He wanted to fill up the emptiness. And guess what? Since he's God, he can make things appear just by speaking. It's like if you could say, let there be a roller coaster, and then any kind of roller coaster you wanted just appeared. So in the middle of nothing, God said, let there be light, and the darkness was filled with light. Now, we know what light is, but remember, it had never existed before. Everything God made was brand new. So it was probably like when you're asleep and someone comes in the room and flips on the lights. Except there were no people yet. God was creating a world for them first. Anyway, light was the first thing God made. He called the light day and the dark night. He made a huge space above water and called it sky. Then he gathered all the water, separated it from dry ground, and called it sea. He called the dry ground land. God called it all good. He thought what he had made was pretty sweet. But he wasn't done yet. All that land was still bare. So God made plants. Oak trees, palm trees, evergreen trees, grass, roses, sunflowers, and every other type of tree, bush, flower, or plant, including the ones we eat, like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Then God looked at all the plants and called them good. Kids, that includes vegetables. After plants, God created the sun to shine all day and the moon to shine at night. He sprinkled twinkling balls of light in the sky and called them stars. And guess what? He called that stuff good too. Next, God filled the water with fish and whales and sharks and squid and every other sea creature. He filled the sky with flapping, chirping, squawking birds. And what do you think he called the fish and birds? Yep, good. Even though sometimes birds poop on our heads. Now there were fish and birds, but still nothing but plants on land. So God said, let there be animals, and animals of all kinds came crawling, scurrying, snorting, stomping, and racing across the dry ground. And just like everything else, God called the animals good. God was almost done, but he had one more thing to create that he had imagined from the very beginning when the earth was still empty. People. And he was going to love this creation more than anything else. See, the land and sky and animals and plants were beautiful, but none of them are as precious to God as we are. So finally, God created Adam. But God soon saw that Adam needed one more thing, a family. So God created Eve. And God's plan was for the two of them to have babies and live in this perfect world forever. No hunger, no sickness, no sadness, no loneliness, no dying. God took care of their every need like a loving father. It was perfect. God loved all his creation. Remember, he had called it all good. 
But when he looked at Adam and Eve and felt such a strong love for them, he called everything he had made very good. Then he rested to enjoy his perfect world. And that's the story of creation. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. The earth was empty. God made light and dark. God made the sky and seas. God made plants and fish. God made birds and animals. He said all this stuff was good. Then he made Adam. Adam needed a family. So God made Eve. God called everything very good. Then God rested. And that's a part of God's story. God's hand in creation. Now for the children. You could be, Margaret will give you um, three hands in a moment, and also two stickers. On the first hand, you've got a little God sticker, which you can stick right in the middle of that hand to remind us that God created the heavens and the earth. On the other hand, you can put the Jesus sticker, because the greatest way that God has shown his hand in our world is by sending Jesus into it. Jesus was God's hands in this world when he came. So you put a Jesus sticker on the second hand. On the third hand, you will need to put either me or write your name. You might need help to write your name right in the middle of the hand because in the end, we will just see briefly how God wants us to use our hands for him. God's hand our hands today. Paul, can we have the little picture of the poppy up? I had my grandson staying with me this week and we were walking down the garden. He was asking me different questions and uh, he said to me, Grandad, what are those? Does anybody know what these are? Poppy heads with the seeds. The flowers have gone, come, and the flowers have gone, but these seed heads have been left. And for a moment, we had a little discussion how amazing God was because God's hand created this. And it always amazes me when I look at these seeds. If you look at the, the green one on the left, just up to the top, under the, the sort of crown shape that's on the top, there's no holes, nothing there at all. But as the, as the pod gets older and it begins to die, in that pod is life. And you see that some doors opened up the top just underneath the crown. They've opened up all by themselves so that the seeds can come out. So if someone knocks that, seeds come out. And if a strong wind blows past that poppy head with all the seeds in it, the seeds come out. Maybe one, maybe two. But I thought to myself, that didn't happen by chance. That's the work of God's hands. And so my 11-year-old grandson, who is a creationist at his age, I said to him, isn't that amazing? Isn't God wonderful? Just amazing. God makes, he's so clever. He made things like that. The poppy. The third sheet you will have, children, is one of these that you can color in afterwards. When it comes to the creation story, we begin by reading, God spoke and things were made. He goes on to say, let the earth bring forth and if ever anything makes me ponder about some aspects of evolution, I think, well, it could fit into that verse, let the earth.
Okay, God's hand in Jesus. I just want to remind you of a Bible verse that's very important when we think of God's hand in Jesus. We read, in the fullness of time, that means at the right time, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus, to be the saviour of the world. And that is a greater demonstration in the fact than creation, as wonderful as that is. But reminds us that God sent forth Jesus as a specific reason to save people, to save us, to save Israel, to save the world, to save the earth, to make it good again, to put it all back together and to restore it for what God ever intended. And that's God's hand. And God's hand was sending Jesus. Jesus, you go. And we read that Jesus came willingly and he gave his life for the sin of the world. So there is no greater demonstration of God's hand in history than the appearance of Jesus. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus was what God put together to bring back humanity to himself, to bring us back. We've already thought that this morning. Sheila in her prayer said, we, if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here this morning. No greater demonstration of God's hand in this world is the sending of Jesus because we're here. And God's continually wanting to draw people back to himself. It was the only way that honoured man and it preserved also God's intention for righteousness and holiness and things as they should be. Because by Jesus coming, God was saying, well, he's there for you to believe in because man has the ability to believe and to accept. But it also maintains God's righteousness because Jesus died for sin and gave his life. So as we think about Jesus, Jesus is God's great invitation to man. And so if I do a little beckon like this with my hand, God is saying, come. Maybe you've, maybe you've never come. And the opportunity is there for us this morning to come to Jesus. Jesus went out on long seaside and he said to Matthew, come, follow me. As Jesus looked out on the crowds, harassed and finding life difficult, he said, come unto me, all you who are labor, are weary, are heavy laden, stressed out, whatever it may be. Jesus said, come to me. That's God's great, his hand of invitation. And he's inviting us to come through Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The wonder that we can simply come to God through Jesus. And that's still there this morning. Whatever our situation, whatever our need, he's inviting us. Jesus is God's great invitation to humanity to come. I think we need to take that opportunity while we have the opportunity. Coming to Jesus. As I said earlier, as we look at the cross of Jesus and him dying on the cross, we've, we've sang hallelujah for the cross this morning. And in a moment, we're going to sing another tremendous song with wonderful words in it. But I just want us to look 
at Jesus dying on the cross, his death specifically. And that little yod, that little comma in that work formed, which spoke about the ineffable work of God, is the same when Jesus died on the cross. It's like this. It's something so great, so extreme, that it cannot be described in words. That's what ineffable means. It's so great, it's so awesome, and it cannot be described in words. What Jesus did for us on the cross. God sent forth his son into the world, and you can see God's outstretched hand to be the savior of the world. What is our response to that this morning? For some of us, it's the, it's the response in worship and in praise. But if we've never accepted that for ourselves, we need to. Because that's the way we get back to God. We come through Jesus. That's God's great invitation. And whoever you are this morning, and I know you all, I don't want to sound too distant, but he's saying, come. That's your opportunity this morning. Come to me. God's hand in Jesus. And you know what? When we come to God through Jesus, we become an ineffable part of God's work. Something so awesome, something so extreme, that as Christians, as believers in God, there aren't words to describe who we are or what we have become. It's God's unique work for each person as an individual. An ineffable work. Rachel. Well done. You see, all these years of preaching, I've never had to preach with a microphone since uh, 1969. Um, we never had microphones in those days. So I have to get used to it. Never mind. There we go. At least you can hear now. Then never mind. The last thing is to our hands. That last verse, which we weren't able to sing because the words weren't there, but it says, let us learn how to serve. And I think as a church, we need to learn how to serve. Our hands... God's hands, not only Jesus' hands, but our hands are his hands. Two, let us learn how to serve. There's another verse, Bible verse in, in that book, Ecclesiastes, which we read from, and it goes like this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I think as a church, each one of us need to find what God wants us to do within the beacon context and within our lives generally. Yes, we do our work and our jobs. Our profession is all part of God's hand. And it's a way that we serve God in everything we do. Our duties, putting out the dustbins. Who likes putting out the dustbins? I don't like putting out the dustbins. But it's a duty our hands do and we should do it well. Whatever our hand finds to do, to do it with all our might. Daily routine. Let's make it special. Every role in life is special because we have a responsibility in that. 
The church is made up of busy people working together for the glory of God and Jesus Christ, serving one another. I want to ask us, are we, are we actually playing our part? As a young man about 25, 26, 27, 28, 30, it was something that was passed over my head. I didn't learn what that meant. I had to learn what God wanted me to do in the context. I wasn't thinking about it. But as we learned and we heard God's word, we read that God has a place for each one of us. We used to sing this song, Sheila will know it. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. The problem is finding out what it is that God wants us to do. We sort of leave it and don't seek God about what we should be doing. And so I just urge you this morning, what does God want you to do? You know, God asked Moses when God called him to lead, he said, what's that in your hand? And he was holding his shepherd's staff there. What's that in your hand? Moses had to think what it was. And it was his staff for looking after the sheep. But God used him with that staff in a very wonderful way. And God wants to use our abilities, our gifts, whatever in his service, in the context of the church and in the context of the world. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, it says, For the body, that's talking about the church body, each person in the church, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. So you might hear people say, well, I can't do that, so I don't belong, I won't bother. But if the foot should say to the hand, I don't belong, you do belong. Whatever you can do, you belong. Maybe prayer, maybe giving, maybe phoning up to encourage people, maybe helping, doing this, doing that, but learning how to serve. And then in that same chapter of Corinthians 12, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And sometimes we look at people and we say, oh, well, they're only so-and-so, they're not really important. Rah, that's discrimination. We should look upon each other, each member, as so important. Remember, that person is an ineffable work of God in Jesus. So important. So the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. God does need you. I just remind us how important the part that we play in churches. So important. That's what we're called to do. So let us learn how to serve. Margaret's nephew, and I'll finish with this. Margaret's nephew was going to church with his, uh, with his parents week by week, week by week. And um, after the service, it was a communion service, and after the service was finished, uh, Stephen is his name. He got up and started clearing the wine and the bread away. And this other Christian came to him and said, don't do that, you're not baptised. That's the eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. Whatever we do, however small it is, for God in Jesus Christ, it's so important. We are doing it for him.
So let us learn how to serve. So if you're part of Beacon, can I challenge you to find your part and play it well? Because our hands is God's hands in this world. Thank you, Father, for this time together. I just pray that you'll help us, Holy Spirit, to understand and to learn what each one of you, what each one of us can do. So, Father, as we minister, may we learn, Father, to what it means to lay hands on people, that they will be healed and recovers. Help us to learn the gifts you want us to have. To bless others, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you. May God bless you. We struggled a bit with the technology this morning, but uh, God's in control. And thank you guys for working so hard to get it right. Give them a clap, yeah? Okay, well, we're actually moving forward out of COVID, and hopefully in September we'll be morning, moving forward to coffee afterwards. So that'll be good, won't it? So I'm quite now, I'm quite thirsty.